This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Jesus told a story about a father who had two sons. And to really understand this story, we have to understand why Jesus told it. And Jesus told this story in response to a criticism that he received from a group called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the Jewish religious rulers. They were the ones that thought they had a monopoly on God, that they had the monopoly on religion. And the Pharisees believed that the approval of God was something to be earned. They believed that that God dished out his approval and his acceptance in return for good deeds. Now, they obviously didn't listen to Jeff's message from last week. And um, if you you weren't here and you've not caught up on it yet on the podcast, I would recommend that you do. But this was how the Pharisees viewed God. And the Pharisees had allowed their distorted view of God to impact the way that they treated people. To impact the way they treated people, which meant that they excluded people based on the things that they did or didn't do. It meant that they considered themselves better than others based on deeds. It meant that they apportioned value to people based on their behavior. And so the criticism that the Pharisees make towards Jesus is that Jesus, he welcomes sinners. That Jesus welcomes sinners and he eats with them. He shares a meal with them. He associates with them. The word sinners here would have meant those who deliberately and persistently disobeyed the law of God. It would have included dishonest moneylenders and prostitutes. And this is the criticism that the Pharisees make of Jesus, that he welcomes these people and he eats, he sits and he eats with them. And so in response, Jesus tells a story about a father who has two sons. And this story is found in Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. And Jesus tells this story to challenge the way that the Pharisees treated sinners. To challenge the way that the Pharisees treated people. To show them how people should be treated. And to highlight, perhaps more significantly that their attitude towards people was derived from their distorted view of God. And to illustrate for them and for us the nature of God the Father and his heart towards us. And so the story begins with the youngest of these two sons coming to the father and requesting his share of the inheritance. Now inheritance was usually distributed once the father had passed away. And yet here, the son is requesting it already. Now, this was not something that was illegal, but culturally, it was unbelievably insensitive. Because what it communicated to the father from the son was, I'd rather you were dead. What it communicated was, your money is more important to me than you are. What it communicated was, I'm more interested in what you can give me than in my relationship with you. This was unbelievably insensitive. So imagine for a moment, you are the Jewish audience listening to that story. I imagine many of them would be thinking, ha, 
What a joke. No father is going to part with that amount of money. No Jewish father is going to allow his son to heap that insult upon him. No father is going to allow his son to bring such shame upon his family with the behavior that he goes on to do. What will the other fathers think of him? And so I imagine that the Jewish audience are not expecting the father to say yes. But what Jesus explains is that the father does indeed give to the son the inheritance. And that the son leaves the father's home. He goes on a long journey to a faraway country and he squanders what has been given to him. He wastes what the father has entrusted to him. With the Bible says wild and reckless living. And that's why this story is often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. This son is extravagantly wasteful with the thing that the father has entrusted to him. And what amazes me about this story, what amazes me about this point in the story is that the father says yes when he could have said no. The father says yes. He gives to the son the inheritance when he could have said no. When it was in his right to say no. When many other fathers may have said no. That despite the pain he will experience in losing his son, the father says yes. That despite the humiliation it will bring upon his household and upon his name, the father says yes. Because the father wants more than for the son to stay at home. The father wants more than for the son to stay at home. He wants more than religiously acceptable behavior. He doesn't want a coerced relationship. But he wants his son to choose a relationship with him that is based upon his understanding of the father's true nature and of his heart for his son. He wants it to be a choice. And so Jesus goes on with the story and explains that the son squanders all that he has and he finds himself with nothing. And when he has nothing, there is a famine that comes across the land. And so he has nothing and he is hungry and he is desperate. And so what he does is he finds himself a job. And the job that he is able to find is the feeding of pigs. And so here is this Jewish son and he is feeding pigs. Now right now, the disgust rating of the Jewish audience has gone off the charts. Okay? Not only has this son heaped this insult on his father, not only has he wasted what the, wasted what the father has entrusted to him, but here he is doing a job, feeding pigs, and feeling so hungry and desperate that he considers their food actually looks quite appetizing right now. That the food that the pigs are eating, the pods that they eat, looks like quite appetizing right now. You see, to the Jews... Uh, pigs are unclean. In the Jewish law, it prohibits the eating of pork, and Jewish teaching prohibits the breeding of pigs. And so here is this Jewish son, and he's feeding pigs. He's amongst the pigs. He's thinking he wants to eat the food they're eating. He's amongst them. It's almost as if he is one of them. And the, Jesus goes on to explain that this son comes to his senses. 
that he comes to his senses when he's there amongst the pigs and he's hungry and he's desperate and he has nothing. He realizes that even the servants in his father's household have enough to eat. That even the servants in his father's household have more than enough. They have enough to spare. They don't live like this. And so the son begins to have an understanding and a revelation that his father is a good master, that he treats his servants well, and that it is good to be a servant in his father's household. And so he decides to return home. He decides to make the long journey home and to to say sorry to his father, to ask for forgiveness and ask that the father might possibly accept him home in the house as a servant. The son has had a revelation. He has gone from a place of such disregard for his father that he was willing to heap the insult on him that I'd rather you were dead to realizing that this man is a good master, that it is good to be a servant of this man. Now, just imagine for a moment you are listening to this story. Imagine you're a Pharisee. You've allowed your view of God, that his approval is to be earned, to affect the way that you treat people, to, that it has resulted in you excluding people based on what they do, on considering yourself better than others, on apportioning value to people based on their behavior. I wonder how you think about the son right now. I wonder what you're expecting the father's response to be. You see, I think there'd be some in that group who considered that when the son returned, that the father would reject him, that the father would disown him. Perhaps the more extreme among the group were thinking, well, actually, the father's going to stone that son to death, because culturally, that would not have been out of the question. And then maybe there were some who were sitting there and think, hang on a sec, I get what he's doing. I get what Jesus is doing here. He's starting to challenge our thinking because the Father never does what we expect him to do. And so maybe there's some of them that were thinking, I actually think he's going to accept him home. I actually think he's going to say, yeah, you can become a servant in my household. Perhaps there's some that are looking a bit smug, like they've worked the twist out before it's happened. That, that, that think that after a bit of a telling off, and then a bit of silent treatment, that he is actually going to accept that son back and and let him be a servant in the household. Well, what we actually see in the story, it says that while the son was still a long way off, it says that before the son has even reached the father's estate, that the father spots him, that he sees him in the distance And that when he sees him, he begins to run. And he runs to his son and he throws his arms wide and he embraces his son. He hugs him and he holds him and he kisses him. The captivating image that we have here is not of an angry father. It is not of an aggressive father. It is not of an indifferent father, but of a father who has been longing and watching and waiting 
for the day when his son might come home. For that day. And on that day, he did. And on that day, he spots him in the distance. But I wonder for this father how many other days there were. How many other days he stood at the edge of his estate, at the edge of the lane, at the, on the porch, at the gate, watching and waiting and longing. I wonder how many mornings he woke up and thought, today could be the day. Today, it could be the day. I wonder how many times he went to bed with a heaviness in his heart. Today wasn't the day. Today wasn't the day. I wonder how many times he watched and he waited and how many times he caught his breath. His breath was, he, his breath was taken away as he saw movement and then his heart dropped when he realized it was just a branch moving and that his imagination was playing tricks on him, that the thing he so desired, the thing he hoped might happen was playing tricks on him. I wonder how many days he imagined that moment when he'd see his son when he could hold him, when he could embrace him, when he could kiss his face like when he was a boy. I wonder how long. But on this day, his son comes home and his response is that he runs to him. Jesus has just thrown another cat amongst the pigeons with the Jewish audience because a Jewish patriarch would not have run. A Jewish patriarch would not have run. And some writers say that a Jewish patriarch wouldn't have initiated this kind of embrace. And yet here is the father. Here is a reflection of the nature of the father and his heart towards his son as he throws off the cultural restraint and the social restraint to run to him and to embrace him and to hold him and to hug him and to kiss him. This is the captivating image that Jesus paints for us of God the Father. And what happens is the son begins to apologize. He begins to apologize and what the father does is he gets a robe and he places it around the son's shoulders. And he gets a ring and he places it on the son's finger. And he gets some sandals and he puts them on his son's feet. And he begins to clothe the son. And what he is doing here in putting these items of clothes on, clothes on him is that he is, these close items of clothes, clothes signify sonship. The father is welcoming home the son, not as a servant, but as a son. The father is welcoming him home as a son. He is, in putting those items of clothes on him, he is restoring to him honor and dignity and sonship. And the son is realizing. The son is having more of a revelation. The son is realizing that not only is my dad a good master, but that he is a merciful and a gracious father who loves unconditionally, who has deep affection for me. The son is beginning to get a true understanding of the father's nature and of his heart for him. And so the father says to the servants, my son is home. Not we've got a new servant to join the ranks, but my son, my son 
is home. And so we have got to celebrate. We have got to celebrate. And he says to his servants, he he asks them to kill the fattened calf. He asks them to prepare a feast because his son has come home. And then in the final part of the story, Jesus very clearly addresses the Pharisees. In the, it's in the character of the older son that we find the role of the Pharisees in this story. You see, the older son has been out in the field working hard all day. And as he returns to the house, he hears music and he hears dancing. And so he says to one of the servants, what's happening? And one of the servants says, well, your your brother has come home. And so your father's killed the fattened calf. He's put on a feast. He's put on a party to celebrate that your, your brother has come home. And yet the older brother's response is that he becomes angry. And he goes to the father and he says this. He says, all these years, I have been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Do you hear the criticism? Does it sound familiar? The older brother criticizes the father for welcoming the sinner and for eating with him for feasting with him. And here, not only does Jesus challenge the attitude of the Pharisees towards people, but he also reveals their attitude and their understanding of the nature of the Father. In these words of the older brother, the older brother who says, I have been slaving for you. I have been serving you. I have been working hard for you and for all my efforts, for all my laboring, for all my toiling, you didn't even give me, you didn't even pay me with a goat that I could have a party with my friends. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's not only challenging the way that they treated people, but their distorted view of God. Here is a son in his father's home and his own words are that I have been slaving for you. It it reveals to us he he saw himself as a slave, as a servant in his father's house. He may have recognized that his father was a good master, but he didn't grasp that he was a son, that he was accepted, that it was his joy to work alongside his father. And his father says this, he says, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. The goat and the calf and everything, all that I have is already yours. You didn't have to slave to access any of this. All that I have is yours. See, both of these sons had a distorted view of the father. Both of these sons, the younger one, who on his journey home hoped that if he might just find the right words to show how sorry he is, that his father, if it's a good day, that his father might possibly just accept him home as a servant, that he might be able to spend the rest of his days as a servant, having enough to eat, like the other servants in the household. 
the younger brother, who, as he's in that process, is greeted with the warmest embrace, that is greeted with these arms that are open, the warmest embrace with a hug and a hold, and is restored to him sonship and honor and dignity. Both of these sons had a distorted view of the father. Then the older son, who whilst he was there, whilst he had remained in his father's household, never truly understood what his father was like. Never truly understood the nature of his father and his father's heart towards him. Never understood that all that I have is yours. My arms are open. Jesus tells this story to help us understand the nature and the heart of God, our Father. The Father in this story represents God. So Jesus tells this story to help us understand the nature and the heart of God towards us. Because the way that we see God, the way that we understand his nature and his heart towards us, it impacts upon our relationships. The understanding that we have of God the Father and his heart towards us affects the way, unconsciously sometimes and unintentionally sometimes, the way that we treat people. That's why A.W. Tozer famously wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. Because it's our understanding of who God is and his heart towards us that forms us and influences and affects the way that we treat people and the kind of God that we reflect to others. You see, God commissions us to represent him. God commissions us to represent him. When the father in the story is putting the ring upon the finger of the son, he's signifying sonship and honor and dignity. But the ring would also have signified delegated authority and representative character. Now that the son is home, now that he understands what the father is like, the father commissions him to represent him. Now that he has a true understanding of the nature and the heart of the Father, the Father commissions him to be his representative. You see, God desires a relationship with you that is based upon your true understanding of what he is like. Upon your true understanding of his nature and his heart for you. That he is not an angry father or an aggressive father or an indifferent father. That he is not a distant father, but that he is the father who celebrates you. He is the father who delights in you. He is the father that when you turn back to him, isn't getting his telling off speech ready. But he is the father who when you turn back to him, runs to you. He is the father who pursues you. He is the father who welcomes you, who embraces you you, who holds you, who rejoices over you. He is the father who generously shares all that he has with you. God desires that you would choose a relationship with him, which is based on your true understanding of his nature and his heart. And that out of that, you would clearly represent him.
that you would reflect him clearly, that it would transform the way that you treat people. God desires that you don't become like the Pharisees who burdened people through their words and their actions, who burdened people with the idea that the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of God was something to be earned by the way that they treated people. This year, our teaching series is a legacy of faith. And we've been looking at what are the things that we have received and what are the things that we are passing on. You see, our revelation of the nature of Father God and his heart for us is so important for us. It's foundational for our own lives, but it goes beyond just us. See, our revelation of God affects the reflection that we create of God. And it affects the way that other people view God. Our revelation and reflection of God the Father affects the legacy of faith that we pass on. Our revelation and our reflection of God the Father affects the way that our children affects the way that those who come after us, those who look to us, those who learn from us, or the way that they see God, how they respond to him, and how they reflect him to their children. Our revelation and our reflection of God the Father affects the legacy of faith that we pass on. A writer, Jack Frost, writes, You will treat yourself and others according to the way you think God feels about you. If you know you are loved unconditionally, you will love yourself and others with that same kind of love. But if you feel you have to perform in order to be of value to God, then you will portray the thought to others that they need to perform in order to be of value to you. See, our revelation and our reflection of God the Father affects the legacy of faith that we pass on. The faith that we pass on to our children, to those that come after us, is influenced, is affected, is shaped by the way that we understand God and the way that we reflect Him by the understanding that we have in our hearts and our minds of who he is and how he feels towards us. And so to the dads this Father's Day and all those who father, when it comes to reflecting God the Father, you have a unique role in helping your children experience what God is like. You see, oftentimes what can happen is we read throughout scripture, God described as a father. And so what we do is we attach to him the understanding of father that our earthly experience has formed in us. And we don't understand his true and his perfect nature because we attach to him the imperfections that we hear and that we see on earth. Your experience of father may have been a very difficult one. Or your earthly experience of father may have been a wonderful one. 
Or it may have been somewhere in between, but what it won't have been is perfect. Because on its own, humanity is incapable of perfection. And so what we understand of God as Father should come first by looking to him. By having that deeper understanding and that greater revelation of his nature and his heart towards us. And then that is what should be reflected here on earth. Rather than looking around us and attaching human imperfections to him. Dads, you have a unique role in helping your children experience what God is like. In the way that you reflect the Father's heart in your home and in your community. And that comes from an ongoing revelation and a deepening understanding of what he is like. It's the kind of understanding that transforms your very being. That influences and impacts and forms the way that you treat others. And if that sounds daunting... Let me encourage you with the words of the Apostle Paul, who writes, Your grace is sufficient for me. That the grace of God is sufficient for you. I have come to realize that God's grace is sufficient for all of my parenting failures. That his grace is sufficient for you. So as you rise to the challenge of gaining a deeper understanding of the nature and the love of the Father. As you seek to more accurately reflect him in your home and in your community and within this church. As you help your children and those who come after you experience what God the Father is like. Please remember that his grace is sufficient for you. And to those of you who perhaps feel like your earthly experience of Father has left you crippled. It has left your view of God distorted. Let me encourage you that the Father's embrace is able to undo the effects of that pain. That the Father's embrace is able to bring wholeness and healing. It is available to you and that you will be able, it is possible for you to see God clearly. That through prayer and forgiveness and repentance, that wholeness and healing is available for you. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.